Welcome to the Lab Rats Podcast. You are now entering the maze. Is that the dude the half I'm, and half? Yeah, I'm so pumped about this. I didn't even know this existed. I've been wanting to try that forever. I mean, it's remarkably good for having no sugar at all. Tastes like an Arnie Arnie Palmy. Yeah, I mean, about as close as you can get. Well, I mean, Arnold Palmers are like riddled with sugar, but yeah, this is they're not carbonated though either. Arnold Palmer Arnold Palmers are they? No, they're not. You're right. But this is good. This gets the job done. Hmm. This might be my new favorite. Really? I feel like I, I say that with everyone I try. It's but. not. It seems like it'd be kind of disgusting. Like the no. cart with the carbonation. It seems kind of gross. No, it's kind of got that. I don't know. You like grapefruit, though. Yeah. Gra- I'm not a huge fan of it. Mm. Okay. I mean, I'll drink it. But yeah, this one is. <clears throat> I don't know. It's more mild on the sparkling, I would say. Okay. Is it, it's black tea, right? Half black tea, half lemon. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Brewed black tea, lemon juice and carbonated water. (sighs) I need to try it. Um, I got, I went back to the doctor for my knee for a second time today. I went to a new doctor though. And this guy like specializes in sports medicine. I think he worked he did some medical, he had some medical responsibility in the Navy for a while. And then he works for UNC Charlotte, like the college. I think he works for the uh, baseball, the minor league baseball team here as well. So pretty stacked resume. And basically he told me like, we can either give you a cortisone injection and that's about a 50, 50 chance. That it'll, he, he, he didn't really know what it was. He still thought it was this plica band thing, which is what the other guy told me, but he said it's weird that rest hasn't helped. I mean, I haven't, my the re- initial recommendation was take four weeks off, you know, ice and SEDS, you know, all right. that stuff. Yeah. And I took eight weeks. I haven't done a squat in eight weeks and Jeez, it'll still hurt sometimes just sitting here. And so he said, that's kind of weird. Normally that goes down after, you know, after rest. Right. Um, he said, there's no way to know exactly what it is. I don't think it's a meniscus tear. Sometimes the plica band can just be inflamed and sometimes you actually have, have to go in and like scrape it off or <laughs> scrape it out. Um, Cause apparently not everybody has it or some okay. people have it more inflamed than others. So he said, we can either do a cortisone injection, 50, 50 chance that'll work. If that doesn't work, we'll have to get an MRI or we can just do an MRI. I'm like just, just give me an MRI. Yeah. I know it's going to be outrageously expensive. Right. But at least I'll know what it is. And then he said, then we can decide if we want to do a cortisone injection or do a surgery, if that's what it is. Okay. Yeah, that sucks, man. <laughs> but it's frustrating just to get like an answer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cortisone, <laughs> I don't think that's ever going to fix it. Fix it. Like, what was he say? Well, why did he like say 50% chance? Like, doesn't that just decrease inflammation? Well, I, apparently that's the problem is like the inflammation of the knee mm. and that's one way to like to get it to go down. But so there's yeah, no like tear or strain. No, it's just, it's just one band that can get pinched under the kneecap. Mm. And that's kind of where I'm having some pain. 
So if you can get it to go down, then you don't have any more pain. But my thought is like, okay, what's going to stop it from happening again? Right. Yeah. So. Well, do you know when you're supposed to get the results back? I haven't gotten an MRI yet. He, someone was supposed to call me and nobody's called me yet. So. Yeah, I've had the worst like communication trying to get my wrist thing figured out. I had an MRI like a week and a half ago. And I still haven't heard anything back. I've called like two different really? people and they're like, oh, this person was supposed to send this disc to the hospital. We haven't gotten it yet. Like I called them and they said they're working on it. Who knows? Like, So you haven't heard anything been... back since you got your results? No. No. Normally that takes only, because Katie's got to get an MRI every year. Normally it takes like a day or two. They, yeah, they told me two days. Dude, what so. a joke. Have you gotten the bill for that yet? Nope. I told me and Mariah were talking yesterday, like, because I, I had, I've gotten two x rays and an MRI. I haven't gotten billed for anything yet. I just know it's going to hit me at the worst time. Yeah. Uh, oh, now's a pretty bad time because I just got new tires, which were, <laughs> dude, tires are like $800. Dude, now. I know. What happened to the days when they were like sub 100 per tire? <sighs> All right. Yeah. I thought I was expecting like five, 600 bucks, like $750. Um, yeah, yeah. The, this MRI bill is going to hit soon and it's going to hurt. Yeah. So I'm hoping for that new stimulus, stimulus checks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, what, I mean, at least once you get your MRI, your deductible will, will probably be met. And then like the surgery won't cost you anything. Yeah. I'll definitely have met my de- deductible by then. Yeah. It's crazy, man. Like <sighs> Katie and I, um, I don't know. This was a couple years ago. We, she was having some chest pain and this was like a Saturday night, I think. And she was coughing a lot. This is pre Corona. So a, a while back, but we didn't know what was wrong. And she said, she just felt this tightness and I didn't want to risk it. Like what if she couldn't like breathe in the middle of the night? We didn't know what it was. And there was like no places were open, not even like urgent care places. So we went to the ER. Nobody was there. It was completely empty. And they give us a room. She gets chest x-rays, which I knew were going to cost something. But then, I don't know. We sat in there for like an hour, hour and a half maybe. I don't know who was doing what because there's like nobody in there. But then she comes in, says like no issue, no major issues. It's probably bronchitis. Here's a prescription. I think she listened to her breathe. I think that was like the 30 seconds that she okay. did to, to kind of diagnose it she was in there for under five minutes right three minutes is generous she left we leave okay go get the prescription so katie was fine the bill was a thousand dollars that was after insurance that was a thousand dollars is what i had to pay for that that is nuts and and i knew okay so x-rays are in there what did the x-rays cost the x-rays were like 200 250 okay so the rest of it was that three minutes of checking, yeah. <laughs> checking her heart rate, right? Her, her breathing, dude. That's nuts, man. It's so broken. I mean, uh, yeah, I work at like for a hospital, so I see, like, I see all that stuff on a daily basis, and like, what's <laughs> what's getting charged, and it's just like, it's just insane the price that that we pay for usually crap service. Yeah, I know. We've heard about the uh, I can't remember what it was. 
it was a famous article several years ago called like the $700 Band-Aid. Some guy took his daughter into the office to make the doctor's office to make sure she didn't have stitches or something. Mm -hmm. And they say, no, she's fine. They give her a Band-Aid. And then on the itemized bill, it was like $700 for Band-Aid <laughs> or bandage care or something like that. Jeez. I'm probably butchering the story, but that's the, that was the gist of it. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me. I, it's so I, I work in it and I still don't understand it. I don't really do anything with like the insurance side of things. Okay. But there's so many different parties working together. Uh, like there's the hospital side of things. There's like I don't work at like for the hospital. Like I work for like outside of the hospital, which is like two separate things. And there's the insurance side of things. Then there's like all the things that they use, like pharmaceuticals and the whole tech side of things. There's so many different industry. Like healthcare is so massive. There's so many different industries working together and not really working like they're working for themselves. Like they're not working as a group collectively for the patient. It's like each each sector is like trying to build their, their own company and build their own business. And it ends up screwing over the, the end user, like the customer. Yeah. It's an insanely profitable industry and everybody has to meet their metrics right whether you know some of these pharmaceuticals right. are big public companies they have to answer yeah. to shareholders and i mean who in the end who pays the price for that it's the end consumer which the thought of even calling healthcare patients consumers is a little odd it, it, it's just strange that like i mean it's more profitable the sicker people are yeah pharmaceutical yeah. companies or hospitals insurance companies the sicker people are the more money they make. Right. You know, I was thinking <laughs> the other day, cause I, for my wrist, I'm likely gonna have to have surgery or potentially. And so I just like, you know, booked an appointment. You don't really, I mean, there's so many different doctors. It's so you kind of just pick one that's closest. Usually with, when you like book a doctor's appointment, you pick, you pick who lives close to you and you know, they have decent reviews on Google. Like that's usually the extent of a doctor's visit, like right. who you pick. So, like with surgery, like having to get surgery on on me, for me, it's just a risk. But other people who have like these life-threatening surgeries, you are trusting this person to cut you open and fix your insides. You know nothing about this person. You didn't choose them really. Like there's some random surgeon, you know nothing about them. You don't know the quality of their work because you don't have access to that information. And like right. you have no idea who this person is and you trust them to cut you open because all of the information about that person is, is hidden from you for, for their own privacy. Yeah. And like, why is it not like, I, I was thinking about like anything else that any other service you get, you read reviews and you see like, okay, what am I getting here? Am I getting what I pay for? Right. Like we should be like interviewing our surgeons. Like what makes you qualified to cut me open? Why should I choose well, you? I mean, it's like with me in my profession, like I would, you know, you expect somebody's going to manage your money. Yeah, a very personal thing. You expect them to, to kind of be grilled, honestly. Like, what are your qualifications? Right. What are your certifications? What what legal obligations do you have to take care of me? And what's your track record? Yeah. Um. And I, yeah, it's it's interesting that it's less so with a doctor. It's it's. I mean, if they have awfully doctor in front of their name, I guess that's a that's a sign of credential. But in terms of their their history, their competency. That's less known to the, right. the patient. Yeah. 
yeah, there's just there's no there's no transparency in the healthcare industry whatsoever, and it's it's failed tremendously. I think, I mean, just looking at the numbers of the increase in cost in healthcare, yet the increase in sickness, like it, they're both increasing at the at, yeah. oh, it's going to astronomical it's bankrupt rate. our country if if it is yeah <laughs> if coronavirus doesn't right. Uh, so this article that I found, I came across it. Uh, maybe a week ago, I think it was published on July 20th. It's, it's from, it was, uh, an article written by CNN, but they're referencing a white paper published by the American journal of clinical nutrition. And I think it's, it's, it was multiple doctors, researchers came together and wrote this paper and published it, uh, in the American journal of clinical nutrition. And we'll reference it in the show notes, but Basically, the purpose of this paper, which the will link the article as well, the article just summarizes the paper. But the purpose of the paper is just basically discussing how our government has really failed, how much we are informed about nutrition oh, yeah. and, and, and our diet. So it goes to like these four different steps. It talks about uh, the first part is like, the burden of increasing diet-related health issues on the people and our economy. The second part goes into the current landscape of nutrition research with within the government, and then the last two steps is like the opportunity to how do we how do we fix this and what are strategies to to make this better so our government can be efficient in using nutrition knowledge and using fundings to inform people on yeah. on proper nutrition because. Most of the illnesses, the chronic illnesses, a majority of them are from diet. That's that's why we have chronic illnesses is from our diet. And there's really nobody out there telling us the truth and the importance of of the American standard diet and how deadly it is. Yeah, and I don't think I don't think all of it is um, done with bad intentions. I, I'm sure there's some of that out there, but I I think a lot of it does go back to like education and funding. Nobody really wants to fund nutritional studies because what's the, what's the end product? Well, like where where am I going to get my return on investment with a pharmaceutical? You know that you're going to get if if that goes to market, you know you're going to get a, a nice return on that. Where if you invest in nutrition studies, oh, you have less sick people, right? So, but but yeah, I think it goes back to education as well a lot of people the consumer the uh i guess the end um beneficiary doesn't understand and you know i didn't go to med school but it's my understanding that even at the higher levels like a lot of doctors going through med school nutrition isn't a huge focus no not at all i mean they i don't i've heard somewhere the number of hours that they spend in nutrition but i know they they take very, very little nutrition courses and, and no, they, that's not what they're trained in. And it's not their fault that they don't know nutrition, right? right. It's, they're not trained to know t- nutrition and they're not, they're not supposed to with the way the system is set up. And it's very unfortunate because th- that is the, the result of so many diseases in America. Well, and then too, like they don't, they also don't have the time to go research nutrition. So let's say you get out right. of med school. You, I mean, you got to meet quotas. Yeah, patient. You got to meet patient quotas, surgery quotas. You're working insane hours. You know, sometimes thirty six hour shifts. You don't have time to go home and then, oh, let me look up my you know recent nutritional studies. 
Like what benefit do you get as a doctor to do that? There's no incentive is what I'm saying. There, there, there is zero incentive for them to learn nutrition. Cause I mean, just take your, your typical, um, like healthcare, your, your GP. Yeah. So just take your general like physician who you just go to for, I don't know, you have chronic headaches. So the first thing you do is just go see your physician. That's probably as a result of some type of diet issue or some type of lifestyle issue. But what are they going to do? They're just going to prescribe you a drug to to fix it because that's what they're trained to do. And because that's the only way they're going to get more people through their door. Like they're yeah. forced to meet these quality metrics and these these me productivity metrics that they have to hit every month or their pay gets docked. Right. Yeah. It's like they're they're trying to, you know, maintain a lifestyle and, and trying to take care of their family as well. Now, right. I will say my GP is awesome. And I think she's she's an exception to this because she actually does like go back and do research. She she's super great. And like she'll actually spend like sometimes 45 minutes with us just talking. Like we'll just talk about life. And I know that's rare for somebody yeah. in her shoes, but she will sometimes recommend some natural alternatives. Like Katie was having um, some anxiety and, you know, she, she Katie was a little hesitant to go into some some medication immediately. So she said, Hey, why don't you try valerian root? She said, hmm. you know, I've done some, some research on that and that's supposedly can help. Not saying that's a prescription for getting rid of anxiety, but anyway, she recommended a natural alternative that she had on her own done some research. So I thought that was pretty okay. cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's definitely a more rare case that you'd find yeah. to, to give you that an, an option like that. So yeah, to go back to this paper that was published, um, I just want to go, I guess, to give a brief overview of the outline because they really quote some interesting stats here. So the first point that they make is that the burden of increasing diet related health issues on people in our economy. So they're starting the paper by saying there, there's an issue here and they're stating they're showing with stats what what the issue is. And they I'm just I picked out a few that they that mentioned. One of them is that diet related illnesses are the leading source of poor health in the US. Uh, nearly, this is crazy, nearly three in four American adults are either overweight or obese. Three of mm. four. Like that's 75% of the people in America are are either overweight, overweight or, obese. or obese. It's, yeah. I, I read something, just came across this. I think this was newly published on the CDC website. One in five kids are obese. Yeah. Which is just... It's sad. It's, it's yeah. really sad. Um, and then one in two, uh, this is adults specifically, but one in two have either, either diabetes or prediabetes. And these rates are continuing to increase and they have been increasing for the past few decades. Mm -hmm. Another thing they mentioned, and this is for younger people, that 71% of people between the ages of 17 and 24 did not qualify for military service um, with obesity being the leading medical disqualifier of that so these are these are kids 17 to 24 yeah these are these are young adults and kids 71 percent of them couldn't even make it into the military strictly because of their physical condition um another thing they say here is that over over the past 50 years federal health care spending federal health care spending has risen from five percent of the federal budget to 28 percent now which what it is um and then u.s businesses so that was the federal side this is now private business u.s businesses spending on healthcare has increased 
from 79 billion to 1.2 trillion. So that's 15 times um, increase in healthcare spending over the past 50 years. So, I mean, <laughs> it's just crazy that how, how significant this spending has increased, yet we're still increasing obesity, increasing in diabetics, increasing in, in chronic disease. So something's like, not working. Something's exactly like what's what's going on here. Um, like we're investing so much more into healthcare. So in theory, we should all be healthier, right? Yeah. Like we know we know more now than we've ever known before about ourselves, about what we put in our bodies, about what influencers influences our bodies. We know we have more technology now more than ever. You'd think that we'd have it figured out. Yeah. And and what's interesting is over those 50 years, what it, what has changed? Our, our knowledge has changed. Our knowledge has improved on how we can take care of ourselves. Our bodies has, have not changed. In 50 years, our bodies have not evolved into being unable to, um, to process certain foods. Like, right. They've been that way for a while. So what has changed is our environment and and. The, this processed food, the our, our intake, our, our nutrition, those are the things that that's really the factor that has shifted right. for the worse and that is really leading the leading cause of all this. Yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, there hasn't been I mean, we know this to be true. Obviously, we know that um, processed foods are bad for us, but there isn't the government hasn't really done the research on this, nor have they put out information on on just how bad this is for us. So like the second point they make in this paper is, and also I guess as a side note, I don't, the government alone is not responsible for this. Like I'm not right. saying they should, they're responsible for the the health of every individual in the nation. Like we're all, we can make our own decisions, but I think with how much money that they invest into our, until into the healthcare system, they do have a role in informing us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um the second point here is that the current landscape of nutrition research within the government. So they kind of talk about which departments take on nutrition research, where funding goes. So there are more than 10 federal departments and agencies who currently invest in, in nutrition research. The, the most popular of those or the one that receives the most funding from the government is the National Institute of Health. And how much, obviously, all of their funds aren't used for nutrition research, only a small portion of it is, but they're arguing that they should spend basically a lot more in nutrition research because that, that alone would obviously fix a lot of the chronic diseases. So currently, only 5% of the, their total funding is used for nutrition research. Of that wow. 5%, 25% of it is focused on diet for preventative diseases. Well, that's like nothing. Yeah, exactly. Which that's that's the one thing that we need to be focusing on is is using nutrition to prevent chronic disease. I mean, that's that's the one thing that it's such a simple solution. Like there's not this high tech drug out there. There's not these certain things we have to be doing. Like fixing chronic diseases is simply as simple as eating better. I mean, that's going to fix yeah. a majority I mean, of our problems. I mean, some do relate back to genetics. Exactly. That are, yeah. that are, that are outside of our control. But even then, a lot, of, a lot of that can be better managed 
through good nutrition. Right. If there were they were to make a pill available to you where you felt better, you had more energy, your inflammation decreased, you just felt less pain throughout the day. I mean, everybody would take that. And yeah. it's available to us in the form of food. It is. Yeah. And we know this. Like, it's just unfortunate that very little dollars of the trillions of dollars of the healthcare system are put towards preventative care. Right. It's and all spent. It's all reactive like that. I pulled up a statistic on, I think it was the CDC site relating to heart. No, it was, it was just chronic illness in general. And I don't know what all is included in this cost, but it said that chronic, chronic illness. So that includes heart disease, cancer, chronic lung disease, stroke, Alzheimer's, diabetes, and, and chronic kidney disease make up $3.5 trillion uh, in annual healthcare costs. Jeez. I'm assuming that's spread between government, business, and the consumer, but okay. um, th that's it's just insane, and it's not sustainable. Yeah. Yeah, the focus is, is just on, on fixing something that's already broken rather than trying to prevent it from being broken in the first place. I mean, half the time it's just masking. Yeah. Yeah. Like with the cortisone shots, like that's for most cases, when you get a cortisone shot, it's just masking pain. Like NSAIDs, it's just masking pain. It's not fixing the root of the problem. Well, and same thing with like blood pressure medications. Yeah. Some people, there are situations where you need to be on blood pressure medications, but like that's, that's very controllable for the most part mm -hmm. with diet and exercise. Right. So it's not getting to the root cause. And that's the problem. People aren't investing in the root cause. No. Um, so the third part of this paper goes into basically opportunities. Like, how do we fix this? Like our spending has increased, our health has decreased. What are some opportunities here? And they, they mention on a few of these things that we, that we are talking about here. One they say is, is food is medicine. Uh, do more research on, on food is medicine approach in healthcare, such as medically tailored meals. Um, produce prescription programs and nutrition mm -hmm. education for health healthcare providers. I think love that those three are huge. Yeah. Uh, I've never heard of like produce prescription programs. I like, I, I like know, the, that's so cool. I like that. That, um, that reminds me of something. So uh, at some point I'll have to explain all of Katie's story with MS, but when she went on the walls protocol, which is a nutrition program specifically for MS, it was developed by a neurologist who was diagnosed with MS. And in a very short period of time, she was in a wheelchair, couldn't function. And then she couldn't get answers. She tried every kind of MS medication out there, did all this, all this research, uh, conducted some studies on like, what is the optimal diet and lifestyle that can heal MS, can reduce these symptoms so that you can actually live, um, a normal life or a semi-normal life. And so she developed this protocol. Um, that is specifically tailored towards like brain health and people with MS and she's kind of healed herself. She was able to get out of a wheelchair. She's working as a doctor now, again, she's able to like ride her bike. She's conducting research studies and so many people with MS who have tried this. It's just been a game changer for them. It was a game changer for Katie. She was so fatigued and she went on this protocol within a couple of weeks, she said, this is the most energy I've ever had in my life. Like I feel better now than I did like, before I even knew I had MS. And yeah. that, it's just, it's a powerful experience when you, that's kind of really when it clicked for me with all this. 
is yeah. it matters what you put in your body and not just the pill. The food that you put in your body has a direct impact on your health, your well-being and the way you feel. And it, it changed her life. And so we went into the doctor and it was the first time actually she had no new lesions, which was super exciting for us. Lesions are MS term. You don't want lesions. If you have lesions, it means your MS is, is acting up. And now she was on medication at this time as well. But the, the real shift she noticed is when she went on this diet in terms of how she felt. So she got MS, she got the results back, you know, no new lesions. Great. Keep doing what you're doing. And Katie told her, she said, Hey, I just wanted to share with you. Like I'm doing the walls protocol. I feel amazing. And the doctor said, Oh, that's great. Yeah. I've heard of some people having success with that, but you know, we don't like to recommend diets here, but, um, but I'm, I'm glad it's working for you. It's like, so like you brushes have, it off. She just brushed it off. Essentially. It's like, yeah. okay, so you, you've heard of it. There've been studies on this. I mean, there, there are legit studies on this protocol for MS and so many, so many stories from people like Katie that have had positive experience. So you've heard several people say it, but you don't like to recommend a diet, but you'll recommend a very heavy autoimmune suppressant drug. No problem. That has all types of negative side effects with it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Birth defects, um, risk of like, this yeah, serious, fatal brain serious. disease. Yeah, exactly. So that's, yeah, that's my <laughs> anecdote with that is, yeah, I think. I think if we can get people to prescribe nutritional programs, I think that'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So then the, the last point of this paper is basically, I mean, you can go on, they have, uh, let's see, I think like 12 different suggestions here. The food is food is medicine was just one of the 12. I think it's the most powerful, the most important, the one that needs to be implemented, but they have 11 more here as well. that are more of a, a holistic perspective. And then this, the the, four, the fourth point is basically how, from a governmental perspective, can we can we implement this using our um, our departments and our agencies? So I'm not going to okay. go into that part of it, but um, I just I hope some of this starts to pan out. I hope some of this starts to get implemented into into our society, and honestly, I hope that we can learn from the crisis of COVID because. That has really shown our weakness. It has shown how devastating a virus can be to people, to an economy when we are not ready for it physically. Right. Right. When our immune systems are weak. Right. I mean, like more than ever, we're at the highest rates for heart disease, diabetes, which we know it primarily negatively affects those people. That's yeah. who it affects the worst. And we're not ready for it. No, not at all. And w what what's bothersome is that we're we're basically sitting around waiting for um, waiting for a vaccine. That that's what we're doing. Like we're we're trying to not overwhelm the health the, the hospitals. We're trying to keep things on a, a slow, hopefully decline or keep things level as long as possible until we have a vaccine. That's what we're holding out for. And I'm not I'm not against the development of this vaccine. What I'm saying is, is that simply boosting our immune system, we see we see how it responds to people with strong immune systems. We know that this virus can't stand well against those people, yet we're not being told to increase our immune system. We're being told to do things like wear a mask, socially distance, and wash your hands, which are great things that we should do, but those only prevent you from getting it. Once you get it, you're kind of screwed. Like Those three things aren't going to help you once you get it. And if you don't have a strong immune system, once you get it, like there's no telling what's going to happen right. to you. And 
the the biggest uh, place for transmission is in the home. So if somebody in your home gets it, you're likely going to get it. So you can't really, unless you are willing to separate yourself from your family for who who the heck knows how long. I I mean, if your family encounters it, I mean, you're they're likely going to spread it to you. So what can you do beyond you know those recommendations? Harness your immune system. Like I don't know why that's it's almost viewed as like a pseudoscience, you know? Yeah. Like if you talk about natural ways to boost your immune system, you're like, I don't know, a, a, a COVID skeptic or you're anti-medicine. And that's not it at all. It's just, there are things that we can do right now that will help us live better. Like who want, nobody wants to be on a ventilator. Nobody wants to see people on ventilators. Nobody wants to be in that position. And, and there are things we can do for relatively low cost. Now, I know not everybody has access to healthy food, and that's a whole separate um, issue that also needs dealt with. But if you think just like getting good sleep, like getting vitamin D, I don't have the statistic pulled up right now, but uh, Dr. Rhonda Patrick did a write up on vitamin D and COVID that was really interesting. Like it was something like 90% of people that are hospitalized with COVID in this one study they did at least were deficient in vitamin D. And I think yeah. only 4% that were hospitalized were sufficient vitamin D. Yeah, I think that's roughly correct. Yeah, I'll I'll post I'll post that link there. But so like getting outside, just exercising. I mean, all these things like really contribute to our long term health and wellness. And, you know, even aside from COVID, like, why wouldn't you want to do that? But especially during a pandemic, I I don't know, I just don't understand how this has received such little attention. Yeah. Yeah. And you really can change a lot, like a lot about yourself, about your immunity, about your health in a pretty short period of time. Like this happened. I mean, when it was lockdown four and a half months ago, is yeah. that long it's been like if you if at the very beginning of this, they said number one thing every everybody should be doing is start strengthening your immune system, which is the most common sense thing you could tell people the most yeah, like right. common sense thing at the very beginning, because we know the facts of a strong immune system, you're going to fight illnesses much better than somebody who is overweight and obese. And then and the, statistics, could, the statistics have shown that since day one. Yeah, exactly. And they they could have come out in mid-March, beginning of March, and said this off the bat. And people had four and a half months to improve. Like, you can do a lot of good for yourself in four and a half months. Like, oh, yeah. David Goggins, he lost 100 pounds in just three months. <laughs> yeah you, you can reverse diabetes in a few months you can re- reverse pre-diabetes in a few weeks there's a lot of good things you can do for yourself by just changing a few habits over four and a half months yeah and i i just i wish this was spread um i wish this information was spread more than the preventative measures yeah. well and that's why i don't understand why doctors are so hesitant and and the CDC, everybody, they're so hesitant to recommend any kind of nutrition protocol. I don't know if the CDC does now. I haven't looked. But look, there are basic things that everybody can agree on, right? Vegetables are powerful. Like, we know we know that. That's not right. controversial. Unless you're allergic to a vegetable, which you could be allergic to a medication, it's not going to have a downside for just having a better, cleaner diet. But people are so hesitant to recommend anything nutrition related, but so easily will recommend a pill or, or a vaccine. Right. It's like we are, let's, let's pump the brakes on any kind of nutrition protocol or any kind of, you know, lifestyle recommendation to deal with this. 
but you know, we'll pump out a, a vaccine. And again, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not anti-vaccine. I'm just making a point that like no priority at all has been put on immune health. Right. And it's frustrating. Yeah. So I think, I think what, what you can do, number one, take care of yourself. And we did an episode on strengthening your immune system. Um, but like basic things, sleep, get as much sleep as that's the number one thing you can do for your immune system, which everybody, um, it's hard. It's hard to take priority over that. I know, but that's a, a one thing that almost everyone can do exercise, even if it's just moving or stretching every day, it doesn't have to be a crazy and intense workout eating well, you know, to the best that you can afford it, uh, not neglecting mental health. That plays a huge role as well in overall health and wellness. So take care of yourself. And then I think it's also important to like take care of others during this time. So, or anytime, anytime, anything related to health, I think people do better when they're encouraged and they feel supported. So, you know, encourage and support others that are trying to get healthier. You need people to come alongside you and support you. So like praise, praise others, even for the, the small steps that they take, if they just want to go on a walk, like that's good. They're, they're taking a step forward. And then like be an example to people, invite other people over into your home. I guess if you're comfortable with that, or you guys are all safe, cook for people, you know, cook a healthy meal or invite somebody to work out with you. Like these are things that most people can do. I mean, I know we're all limited in terms of what we can do together, but um, those are some ideas. And then, you know, donate or, or volunteer to organizations, your community that are helping provide healthy food to to neighborhoods. Charlotte has a, a great organization. There's several that do it, but um, I actually did a podcast with one called The Bulb and they bring fresh fruits and vegetables to neighborhoods in Charlotte that don't have access to that. They don't have, you know, they're not within walking distance to Walmart. So they can't even get vegetables. So there are a lot of organizations like that that are trying to create healthier communities. And then like Aaron said, you know, do your research on, on nutrition, what's out there, try to stay informed. I know it's a lot and this is kind of a rant episode, but <laughs> those are great points. Um, yeah, I mean, we did the episode, like you said, on immunity, how to build it for yourself. I would assume most of the people who listen to this podcast are more health conscious. So like, I think for us, the big thing is just to like, like you said, just encourage other people to, to make the right decision, praise them when they eat well, encourage them to work out with you, to walk with you, um, build relationships. I yeah. Offer to be an, an accountability partner. I think like, I think health coaching is going to be huge, you know, having accountability part for everyone. I think that matters yeah. for everybody. Um, but especially if you're trying to make a big shift in your life towards a, a healthier lifestyle, you need people around you. Everybody needs people around them. Yep. All right. So we'll put some links into the show notes to some things we, uh, we mentioned. I think that's it. Later. Later.